Welcome to the podcast of ITFA 2018. My name is Orwan Arabiya. I'm ITFA's Artistic Director. In this podcast, we're presenting a selection of recordings from the year's industry sessions and talk talks. This episode features the industry talk, the act of releasing, how to bring documentaries to theatres successfully. Is there an X factor that makes a documentary film suitable for theatrical distribution? And what are the recipes to get an audience into the screening room? This talk was co-hosted by Europa Distribution. The guests are Hub Rulfink, Cherry Pickers, Katerina Dvorjaka, Aerofilms, Greta Akshionaite, Greta Garbo Films, Cecily Polvinkel, EDN and Moving Dogs, and Down Brown from Submarine Entertainment. This session is moderated by Matthias Nostjes of Alpha Panda and was recorded on 19th of November 2018. Maybe before we go into the panel, just a, a few words about myself. Uh, my name is Matthias. I'm from, uh, originally from Switzerland, living in Berlin nowadays. I'm the founder of a small agency called Alpha Panda and we are a film marketing agency, we specialize in uh, social media, and I always like to see myself a little bit as an interpreter or a translator between the world of production and the world of distribution. I suppose that's what marketing is all about. And those are two worlds that don't always fully understand each other and don't always completely speak the same language, I feel. And so that's why I suppose I was asked to moderate this panel, because I suppose there are also quite, a, quite some people here in the audience who are more from, not only from distribution, but also from uh, production and or directors. So maybe before we start, it would be good to know a little bit who we're talking to. So how many of you are producers? How many are distributors? Uh, how many are filmmakers or writers or like more the creative side? Okay, like one-third, 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 I suppose. And then others? No, we're there, more or less. Okay, wonderful. So now we'll ask uh, our, our panelists to uh, introduce ourselves. Maybe we can start with you, uh, Cecilia. Um, maybe if, yeah, you can say a few words about yourself, uh, your company. I think we're quite lucky to have a very diverse panel in terms of uh, countries that are represented, also the type of films that you guys are working on, and also actually what you do. So I, I'm sure that will be interesting uh, for the conversation. Also, maybe uh, after you introduce yourself, if you can just say in two words, if there are some specific things you expect from this panel or some specific topics you would like to be uh, addressed, I suppose that can also set like uh, yeah set the roots a little bit at least me personally i'm hoping to get from this panel some ideas uh, some creative ideas on how to how to promote uh, documentaries it can be challenging sometimes so so that's what i'm hoping to get from this panel so let's start with cecilia von Denmark. Yes, hi, my name is Cecilia Bollwinkel and I'm based in Denmark working for the European Documentary Network um, and I'm here representing one of our projects called Moving Docs where I'm one of the project managers and Moving Docs has existed for four years. It's a pan-European network focused on yeah, to say it's simple, bringing more documentaries to more people. We have partners from all over Europe, distributors, sales agents, film festivals, cinema clubs. And we work together on one hand 
to uh, create more outreach and campaigns for a selected number of documentary titles each year. And on the other hand, we work as a network um, with training and exchanging knowledge and building skills um, of the members of the network. So each year we select around 10 titles, three of them we work with very dedicated and build campaigns. Um, and then we have a number of extra titles that the partners can also screen. So it's a bit of a, of a complicated network, but I hope I can uh, shed some light on it during the, the discussions today. And um, yeah, one of the issues that we've been talking about recently within Moving Docs is target audiences. Who do you focus on? The ones that you already have, that you bring them back again and again, or do you use your effort to bring in, in new people? Thank you. And maybe, I mean, you're probably a little too shy to say that, but for those of you who don't know Europe, um, European Documentary Network, EDN, I would warmly recommend that you go on their website and discover what they do. They play an essential role in Europe in supporting documentaries. So uh, really, I would advise that you familiarize yourself with, with them. So next we have Dan from the US, from Submarine. Uh, check. There we go. Hi, uh, I'm Dan Braun uh, from a US company, Submarine Entertainment. We are a sales agent producer and we have a kind of boutique distribution label in the United States called Submarine Deluxe. And, um, you know, we handle primarily documentaries in, um, in our sales agent business, but we also handle indie feature films. And we've had a couple of big ones. We have the luck of kind of working with really good directors and finding them kind of earlier in, the, in their careers, um, which has been historically the case. We've been around for quite a while, about 20 years. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'd like to find out in terms of a goal, if there was any goal, to just learn more about what everybody's doing here and how the difference is between US dis distribution and, and European distribution and some of the interesting things like that you're doing and that everyone here is doing. Um, and I don't know what more else I can tell you, but you can ask me and I'll tell you, so. Great, thank you. Uh, next, we're moving to, uh, back to this side of the Atlantic, to Lithuania with Greta Aksijonaite from Greta Garbo Film. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Greta Aksijonaite. I come from Lithuania, Vilnius. And uh, I run a film distribution company, uh, a small cinema of 26 seats called Kino Delhi. And I'm also very interested in audience development projects. And uh, right now I'm managing an international project called Hashtag European Film Challenge. Um, from this panel, uh, it's always nice to exchange the experience and ideas with colleagues, uh, the distributors and sales agents and exhibitors. So uh, today I would like to hear uh, success stories and uh, titles that work. <laughs> to Sometimes you just uh, take the ideas from others and try to successfully implement them in your home. And 
And also I'm interested in audiences. Uh, how do you define them and how you target them? And sometimes what happens when you get more when you expect it and how you get that? Thank you. Maybe can you say a few more words about European Film Challenge? Because I think people can, uh, yeah, for sure interested in that. Yes. Maybe define it quickly, like how it works. It's a tool it for promoting uh, legal uh, watching of European cinema in uh, nine territories um, which are participating in the project. It's supported by media. Uh, it's taking, uh, now it's an action for the third time, it means third year. And the main idea is that we challenge the audiences uh, to watch 10 movies in three months and uh, upload the fact of watching and the proof of watching on the special website that we've built. Uh, and while they upload it, uh, the picture of watching, um, they get automatic points for each uh, uh, screening or the fact of viewing. And by the end of the competition, uh, the one who collects most points in the territory, for example, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, etc., uh, he gets the trip and the accreditation and accommodation to one of the biggest festivals, which is Berlinale, Cannes, and Venice. We have three stages of the challenge each year. So... Yeah, and uh, during this challenge, we have uh, like bonus points for uh, for some countries, for some titles, for some directors, uh, sometimes for documentaries, and etc. Thank you. So next, we're moving to Prague. We have Kate here, who is also a distributor from Aerofilms. So hi, <laughs> my name is Kate and uh, I'm a member of marketing and PR team in Aerofilms distribution company. We're based in Prague, Czech Republic, and we release um, around 15 to 20 films a year. Uh, mostly feature films, but I've done the math this morning and over the past six years we've released 27 documentaries. 18 were Czech and nine were foreign. We also have our own VOD platform, where we also release those films. And uh, my expectations, um, I think Greta expressed this really well. Success stories are always nice to hear, uh, to gain some inspiration. So that would be <laughs> what I would like to hear here today. And finally with the Netherlands, so we're moving closer to here with Hoop. Yes, hello, my name is Huub Roofink. Um, I'm the owner and <coughs> managing director of Cherry Pickers Film Distribution, distribution um, which is a relatively new company. It's only two years that I've started my own company and before I was managing director of Imagine Film Distribution. And I've also done a lot of uh, work in the theaters, on the theater side. And um, before, in 2004, we started... Um, Cinema Delicatessen, which was a, a distribution dedicated to documentaries. In my current uh, company, we do about 10 uh, films a year. And so far, I've done three documentaries. So it's mainly features, but um, yeah. So I'm, I just look at the films and see. But yeah. And oh yeah, what I understand, what, what I... I think it's quite similar to most people, you know, I like, it's, it's always good to exchange ideas and you never know where a, a snippet of information comes from that you carry on and you do something with and um, yeah, and I hope maybe I can share some stuff that people have use for. Okay, thank you, wonderful. So we, I can see the 
some interest for audiences, US versus Europe and success stories. So let's try to get that. I would, I would like the first question to be, uh, let's get directly into the success stories. Do you think uh, that there are certain kind of documentaries that work? I mean, uh, I'm really talking like content-wise. Is it like music documentaries? Is it sex? Is it violence? Do you need to have celebrities in there? Do you need to have a famous director? Do you need a, an Oscar? Like, would you say that there are certain type of documentaries that work? Or would you say that every documentary is unique and therefore it depends more on the marketing, it needs to be the right time? Shall we maybe start, let's, let's start with the US. Dan? Sure. That's kind of a, a you know, multi-part question. Um, and obviously, as described, the X factor is something that we don't know. That's why it's the X factor. Um, but it's, a lot of it is instinctual. A number of films that we have released have come from large festivals. And so I would say... I would talk a little bit about not only the successes, but some of the failures. And that is, I think, informative. Um, so we see these films and we generally handle them as sales agents, but sometimes we end up taking them on for distribution for the US. And so, and they're almost all docs. We've released a few features, but kind of conversely to a lot of you guys, we do release primarily documentaries and have been releasing documentaries in the US since 2009 when we, we do a small number and it averages to maybe four or five a year. Um, so sometimes the experience of seeing a film on a certain subject in a festival environment gives you a certain kind of feeling about it that you feel like, wow, this really is going to work in a theatrical setting. And sometimes you're completely wrong about that. Um, we had one title, which was an amazing title, um, that I think was from South by Southwest, about maybe four or five years ago. It was called Peace Officer. I don't know if anybody ever heard about it, but it was an amazing documentary about the, the buildup of... The, it was about the militarization of the police in the U.S. How basically the military had been sending um, military-grade equipment and the police started to militarize rather than... Police in the U.S. are not supposed to be a military organization, but they were basically starting to use tanks and bazookas and all this military equipment in civilian... Situations. It was a fascinating documentary, and was all centered around a character who was who was basically wrongly accused. The police came in and basically like tore his house apart with machine guns, killed his friend, nearly killed him, and the whole thing was. But it was it was very exciting and it was kind of procedural. So we thought and expected that it would be a really great theatrical title and that it would. It would have some drama in it, and, and it did. It had human drama, and it was very exciting. And then, but honestly, it was also kind of a little, I don't know, it wasn't, not, maybe not depressing, but it was like, it wasn't like the most feel-good movie of the year. <laughs> so, 
you know, it kind of led you to like, hmm, where are we, where are we? Um, and so when we, we, we marketed it um, in such a way that, you know, we tried to, to market it to, you know, to different sides of the, the equation, not just people who might be on the more liberal side, but everyone, because it, it, it was a nuanced movie. And we took it out theatrically, and it really did not do well at all. It did horribly. But it was a fantastic movie, and it ended up doing very well on VOD and all other platforms. So in terms of, you know, in the US, I don't know if it works exactly the same way, but basically theatrical can be what I, what we call a loss leader. I don't know if you know what that means, where you, you, you may take a loss on it, but it's gonna, all the other ancillaries will rise because it's perceived as a theatrical movie that has that kind of value. And in the VOD, it's, it's in theaters now. And so it still may be, you know, it's, it still may not be a theatrical success, but overall it, it may be a success. Um, and so that, that was, I guess, one, one thing that I wanted to mention. Um, I don't know, what was that? You have to tell me what the other parts of the question so, were, I've forgotten. Them. No, but uh, yeah, it was about like, are there certain type of films that you think so work theatrically? Here yeah. you're saying you, yeah. need to have a, you need to have a festival presence, but the festival buzz is not always enough to guarantee a, Yes, if, that would if, be if, yeah. part of it. But it was also kind of leading to that, you know, we, we thought that it was a social injustice kind of film that would work on, on in the same way that maybe like a Citizen Four, which is another film that we that we worked on, we didn't distribute it, but we sold it. And maybe say just one sentence about it for those who don't know the project. Uh, Citizen Four was a, a film that was uh, about uh, Julian Assange. It was directed by Laura Poitras. It won the Academy Award, I think, for best documentary maybe two years ago or something. And it was it w ended up being a very big theatrical title. I think it did, you know. In the US, we don't say by admissions, we say by the, the total amount. So it was like four or five million that it did, which was quite good. You know, so, so we actually thought that it would be in that vein that we could really market it and people would be outraged and they would come and it would start a movement. But I think, you know, for us, the, the, the docs that we've had that have done better and have done well and have been art and culture and music doc. So it's a, it's a personal, you know, favorite genre of mine, and I'm a producer as well, so, so I've produced a couple of these docs, and, and you know, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what the magic, as we said, what the magic formula is, but I think, I think something where you actually feel like you've been on a journey, and at the end of that journey you feel like either you know something or you've, you've been on a journey with someone and, it, and there is an actual arc of a, of, of a story that you're, you're with it all the way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like a feel-good experience, but I think, you know, you, we look for, you know, for things that we distribute and sell where you're, you're there through the whole thing and it's not just information like kind of like a Wikipedia kind of documentary. We really look for like a journey. Um, and it, you know, we've had kind of different kind of elements. So it's, 
you know, it's hard to say, it's hard to say, but um, personally I gravitate towards arts, culture, and music. Cool, thanks. Well, we're starting to define the field. Uh, Kate, what you say, you said 27 documentaries, right? Would you say that you see a trend there? Is music and culture particularly strong in there, or? Well, you, you, you could say so, I think, but uh, the categories I would name are biopics for us, because um, like our most successful title basically ever is Amy. We did a lot of admissions on that one. And this year we have had quite, for us, a surprising success with McQueen, which is a documentary about Alexander McQueen, the fashion designer. Uh, my colleague who did the campaign managed to target the audience really well. They did campaigns with Vogue and Elle and all those fashion magazines and people really came a lot to the cinemas. And um, other trend that I would name are for us um, like nature documentaries for the whole families. Our most successful film of last year was Earth, One Amazing Day, which is from the BBC documentary. Uh, and in the past two years, we've also done one French nature documentary. Documentary. It was called Les Saisons. It was about the forest. And then also L'Empereur, which was about penguins. <laughs> so uh, those are quite, I'd say, there is a, for, a formula there. And yeah... All right. Um, Hoop, you mentioned, actually, we, we obviously we met before the panel and I immediately told him, oh, I see that the documentaries you have on your website are music and culture documentaries. But yeah. then you said that you've actually distributed quite a lot of other documentaries in your previous company. So it's probably a lot more complex than that. But we're yeah. already like around that conversation. Yeah, so we did three uh, documentaries, which are, which are all arts and, art and culture uh, films. But before we did, for example, the Werner Herzog uh, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, and I think um, so. I think it's a category, you know, uh, arts and culture is a big personality or a big band. We did Oasis, um, for example, Supersonic, which we overestimated actually because we thought we could do a proper theatrical release with that. But and it was a great film. I don't know if you've seen it, but we really loved it, and we really thought, you know, this is gonna be something. Part of that is also, again, what you have to think about with um, arts and culture is also that the audience for that particular piece of art and culture has to also coincide with the, uh, the audience that actually wants to go to an art house cinema. So Oasis was a tricky one, I think, because the core audience for uh, Oasis is kind of my age, so mid-40s, young kids, and they don't go to the cinema. So... It did very well on DVD and VOD afterwards, along the lines of uh, what Dan said. So there, the theatrical window had a, had had a point, but it didn't work in the theatres as such. Um, so, yeah, arts and culture definitely is something uh, that can work, but it doesn't necessarily have to work. And it's usually it can also be quite limited. I mean, Amy is a is an extreme example because I mean that did about well, 10 times at least what a f normal film about a big personality would do, I think, in the Netherlands. I think it was 150,000 admissions, correct me if I'm wrong. And normally, if you do between 10 and 20,000 admissions, you're already quite successful. So, um, yeah. And, I mean, there is a, is a magic formula. That was, I was thinking about this beforehand, you know, and I really don't think there is a ma magic formula because 
another key thing I think in the theaters is the audience, the press, and we as well. We're always looking for something we haven't seen before, something new, and that's exciting. But it also makes it very difficult to uh, to um, predict where that new thing will be. You know, it's, especially if you're outside of this kind of category of uh, famous people and um, uh, famous artists and, and things like that. And still, there are examples of that. You you mentioned the film uh, Three Identical Strangers, for example, which is you know it's it's just a story, but it's a, I haven't seen it, but it's apparently a good story, and that really connected to an audience uh, as a story. Yeah. Maybe say a few words about me. it for those. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a um, it's a documentary that's in release now in the United States. I don't know where else in the world that it's if it's, it's open, coming out here as well. It's coming but, out. Yeah. So it, it's a story of. I don't want to ruin the idea of the story, but basically it's about these these guys who slowly, through the media, find out that they're triplets that were that were separated at birth. And it it was a one thing that's an element of it that's interesting is that it, it was a very big story in the media when it happened in the eighties. So when they were looking at like archival footage to tell the story, there's all these great pieces on 60 Minutes and they were on Johnny Carson or whatever. So like there's all this great footage of them and they became celebrities, but it wasn't such a big story that everyone, everyone knows about it, you know, where they would go, oh, I know, the, I know that story, so I'm not gonna go see this documentary. It was something where it was like the story was brand new, but it had been a really big story. Right. Um, so we took the film on um, and we sold it to a company in the U.S. called Neon, and they are having a, a very big success with it. I think it's it's over 11 million right now, and so there's a kind of wave of documentaries right now in the U.S. that are doing in the tens of millions, which is extremely rare. Um, there are only 10 or 15 docs in in total that have ever done over 10 million dollars. You know, Michael Moore's movies, you know, the Madonna movie. There's, it's a very rarefied air. But The Three Identical Strangers is, is you know, hopefully is part of a trend of, you know, of, of the audiences realizing that, hey, this is an exciting film. I'm not thinking about, is it a documentary? Is it, you know, is it a feature film? I just see that it's Three Identical Strangers. I hear amazing reviews and there's, buzz on it and everyone's going to see it and you know there's there's three other ones free solo um the mr rogers movie won't you be my neighbor and then there's a fourth one um rbg rbg which is i think at like 16 million or something absolutely crazy like that so it's it's an interesting time right now for documentaries in the u.s and i guess if they're all coming over here now we'll see if, if they can represent the same percentage of being hits, you know, over, over here. That, that gives us hope, let's say. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, well, RBG, for example, is an interesting one because that didn't work at all in the Netherlands because, yeah. I mean, f for, for the current debate in the U.S., she's, she's, a, she's a rock star uh, yeah. judge. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a, a biopic Ruth of Bader judge. Ginsburg, biopic. Yeah. Uh, first, well, not the first, but one of the first female judges in the uh, Supreme Court. Yeah. And she's super famous and also very relevant in the whole uh, the political system at the moment. So for the for the U.S., it's, it's extremely yeah. 
uh, important and subject, and, and for us, it's it's further removed. I think it wasn't marketed very yeah. uh, heavily either. So I think that did, did Mr. Rogers come here? Because Mr. Rogers is obviously like a very I don't even I know think if anybody knows who that is. But probably too local. Yeah. Yeah. He he was like a, a famous kids TV personality that everybody got. You know, I grew up with. Everybody grew up with. So when that documentary came out, I think it was a very feel good kind of comfort. You know, you're going to spend time, and, and the director, Morgan Neville, is a friend of mine, and he talked a lot about how it's about kindness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's about a guy who was actually very generous and, and a kind person, and he instilled that as a value rather than, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world, you know, which there's not a lot of kindness, kindness right now. No, it's so, a feel-good film, and it's but it also reminds you of something you already know. Yes. So it, you revisit this childhood thing, right? Yeah. So that's that's a, I can see the marketing angle there, but uh, yeah. I, I couldn't translate it to our territory because I people don't, don't have so. that memory. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe let's move to uh, Greta. Do, would, what would you say, according to your experience, are there certain kind of films? Or? Well, my experience. Um it comes from my country, I think, because um, Which is we a small have country. it is a small country, but we have very deep traditions of poetic doc- documentary. It started in Soviet times when uh, uh, people wanted to express themselves indirectly in uh, poetic images, but to say something beneath it. And uh, from these times, we have famous uh, creators of documentary. And after gaining the independence, it raised even more because they were uh, um, uh, recognized internationally, the directors. They won prizes and festivals. And that's how documentary and documentary filmmakers are quite uh, well appreciated in the country. But it stands for local production, not really international titles because it's really rare case um, that a distributor picks up a documentary and releases it theatrically. Although uh, the festivals have uh, uh, lots of admissions for documentaries and there are festivals specializing in documentaries. So it's, it's, it's two sides of the, of the documentary uh, in Lithuania. And uh, I cannot say what works at the moment because uh, I released one documentary during... I'm in this business for 15 years and it was my first documentary that I released this year. Uh, It did uh, 3,000 admissions and I think it's a success. Uh, Although a recent uh, local documentary about nature, it has 50,000 admissions. And I think that's the best result so far for a Lithuanian documentary. Uh, but the numbers are like this. Okay, but I see Kate's categories are kind of coming back in the conversation, biopics, nature, they seem to be like... But uh, I just want to add that we also had uh, quite successful sports documentaries recently as well. Okay, any internet? No, also local uh, Local, it okay. was, uh, but it was about internationally known uh, figures or people, basketball, <laughs> basketball, uh, a swimmer, a swimmer, oh, and uh, an Italian uh, bike riders. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
And uh, I mean, that's where, uh, let's uh, get to Cecilia. I think it's interesting because she has two hats. Of course, I mean, the one programming a cinema, so that's quite interesting, oh, a cine club, sorry. So that's interesting because you really see the uh, audience there. And uh, also, of course, uh, within Moving Docs, uh, you explain that, I mean, the selection of films is made like between all the uh, distributors, that, oh, the partners that need to get together and then they vote for different. So that gives you a pretty good idea of like Europe wide uh, what, what distributors are interested in, what they're not interested in. Do you see like trends? Are you also on that line? I, I mean, these trends that are appearing in the conversation or? Do you want to contradict everyone? Uh, no, um, I, I unfortunately also don't have a, a magic formula. Um, we have around 18 partners in our network and I don't think we ever had a film that worked for everyone. Like It could be a big success in Greece and then a disaster in Austria. Um, so, so I don't see like a a pan-European trend in that way where I can like specifically name genres. I think for us the important thing is that we always try to select films that has like either a strong target group or are very issue-based because our focus is also working a lot with um, audience engagement and outreach campaigns. So there has to be something that we can really work with. Um, a success story from from just a few months ago was the film um, Over the Limit about this uh, Russian gymnastic uh, where we see her struggles towards the Olympics. And for example, our, our partner in Greece had a very big success with that, like completely sold out cinemas. Um, because they managed, for example, to get a local ambassador, a very famous Greek gymnastic who then worked as ambassador for the film, contacting all the uh, gymnastic clubs in Greece and getting all the young um, uh, young girls to the cinema with their mothers. And that was a great success. I was just talking to the partner and she said, like, they could do the online promotion by the, just tapping one button and getting like interest from all these groups. And it also yeah, made them or attracted a group that normally don't go so much to the cinema, like the younger audiences. Um, so for us, it's really important to have these films where we can define a specific target group or or work with the with the issue then we, that we can build a, a campaign around. Um, and in terms of of my own little um, adventure, I, I I manage a, a cinema club in in Berlin, like a monthly documentary event where each month we screen a film that is not otherwise otherwise available in, in the cinemas. And it's, of course, only documentaries. And for us there, I think the success is, um, is really issue-based films, where we can go out and attract certain organizations, partner with organizations who, who can spread the word. Um, for us, these partnerships are, are really essential. In, in getting the films out and, and getting sold out cinemas. 
Thanks. That was a marvelous transition to what the second theme I wanted to introduce, which is, and that you also started talking about, which is like targeting. And of course, when we talk about uh, documentaries, a lot of documentaries have very clearly identifiable target audiences, maybe more than fiction. I suppose all of us would agree on that. And so... Um, so then let's get into like the dirty work, like then how do you reach those targets? Uh, do you work on multiple, do you prefer to work on multiple small niche targets? Or do you prefer to kind of identify one target audience and really work that target audience fully? Uh, do you feel like you can, you know, there are also debates about like, would you say that it makes sense to do like a different message for each target audience? Or is that dangerous because then there can be like confusion in those target audiences? Like, like, yeah, let's get into like the, the actual work. Like how, how, do you re how do you identify those target audiences? How do you reach them? Who wants to start? Hoop? Hoop. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it, it's, I mean, it really depends on the film again, because some, uh, I think when I would choose a film for my company now, I wouldn't go for a film that is strictly limited to, because you, you, you have to, I think, distinguish between films that have a very limited but clearly identifiable um, uh, audience, you know. So you go to this organization and they are all members of the organization and they have to come because they are a member of this organization, this is what interests them. Um, but if you, as a distributor, want to attain a certain number of admissions, my, so maybe I'm, I'm just totally opposing your, uh, your point here, Please but <laughs> what, what I try to do is to, um, I, I think what you have to do if you go into the cinema, you have to create um, must-see value, we call it, you know, that the film, becomes something that people really want to see. And um, this is, I think this is maybe, maybe it's a bit off topic in the sense because it's not, it's not about targeting this, because, because when you have a film, you usually have these multiple uh, target groups. So one is the very clearly identifiable group that goes with, uh, like maybe I should take the example of uh, La Chana, one film we did. It won the Audience Award, uh, I think two years ago. It's about a, an, um, an aging um, flamenco dancer. It's a very emotional story, and uh, it's a good film. So it's it's it it it, it drags you along, and you get sort of emotionally gratified. So this and this film typically supports uh, the, the argument because on one hand you have very clearly identifiable group who people who like flamenco is target group super number one. Then you have number two people who like Spain. Then you have number three people who like arts and culture in general, and might be tempted to go to a good film about a flamenco dancer. So, um, and what you want to create is that all these people go. So you, the, the film becomes only successful if, if number three, a target audience, uh, actually decides to go. So number one and two is maybe one or 2,000 people in the, in the country, that the people that are members of these organizations that go to dance classes and all these things. And they're very clearly identifiable, very easy to reach, and you have to do it, of course, because, I mean, it's part of your job, and you know they are, they are there for the taking, so they will buy a ticket. But the tricky thing is, of course, to, uh, to find the rest, and that's, yeah, I think that's really where the uh, job of a... If you have a proper theatrical distribution, I think you also have to maybe um, distinguish between 
you know, theatrical distribution where you really go out in a number of theaters on a premiere date and try to get as many screenings as possible and as many people in as possible and you try to uh, prolong the film, you know, uh, daily screenings and you, you, you try to be out there for several weeks or you have more specialized documentary like Cinema Club when it's Documentary Monday and you try to uh, score a full house on the Documentary Monday. You know, these are almost two different things, you know, are two, also two different measures of success. Um, and it depends, of course, on your expectations and your investments, whether, because it, it can also be a very viable and um, recommendable thing to do. But it's not the business I am in, so to speak, you know. Um, um, yeah. And in our, in our territory, it's kind of hard to, to have a business on that basis because then, you know, maybe you have 20 theaters, you have 20 screenings, well, you can do the math that you have, you know, maybe if you have 2,000 euros of income, then uh, that's that. And you can't run a, an office on that kind of income. So, But if I try to translate Sorry. what you're saying, yeah. it, it means you're, you're doing a little bit of a concentric circle strategy. You've got the hardcore audience that you almost surely will get into the yeah. cinema. And then you go broader and broader and broader and you try to get like the right strategies for each of those audiences. In, and then you think... Plan A, we get everyone, and if that doesn't work, at least we get, like, we kind of cover our cost. Or, am I being a little too cynical here? By saying yeah, it's, like it's, that it's, not that, <laughs> it's not that direct, but it's, you know, part of the job is to contact those organizations directly, because, I mean, that's, they, are, they have a phone number, they have a website, you can, you can really speak to those people. And uh, secondly, you have this, you have social media now where you can sort of very easily target, you know, you can just twist the, 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 the knobs and say, okay, I want people who like Spain, and they have to be uh, this age, they have to have this kind of, uh, you know, you, so it's, it's, it's not or, or, or it's not like different uh, things, parts of, but it's just part of the work. And you do press screenings, you know, and the press is a national thing almost by definition, so the film press, you, you want the film press to write about it, you make a premiere date, so it's, it's a mix of all these things, and, and, but you do identify them uh, beforehand, like the primary, secondary, target audiences, and then you work those things. So I, I, you can probably say a lot of things about that as well. Because yeah, would you, would you agree? Uh, Greta, for example, would you I agree? Is that also how? No, no. I would do opposite. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. My approach is opposite. Uh, right now I'm looking for a documentary with a very clearly defined topic, uh, which I could target at very um, uh, clear uh, target audience. And uh, what I would like to do is to create the deficit. I mean, to make event cinema not put it on regular release, but to make maybe three days on release to create uh, this need to see it now and not to postpone uh, the going to the cinema. So that's how I would do it because I had good experience with that and I think it will work again for with the next docu documentary. Because I prefer 3,000 of target audience instead of 1,000 of broad audience. Of course, anybody would do, but, so, but, but you, it, it's enough for you to have, you, you, you can make a business out of that uh, for yourself. 3,000 is better than 1,000, yes. 
<laughs> but but then of course you need the availability of the filmmakers to be there for these for for the eventification of the release. Then you also mm. need to have someone for the Q and A's. Or can you do that just with local organizations that work within that field? Or exactly, okay. we 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 are fine with local organizations or local celebrities who are within the topic in some ways, or uh, opinion leaders, influencers and stuff. It's very small country, you know each other very well. It's very easy to get celebrities into the uh, campaign. And exhibitors are completely also fine with those kind of strategies. They're supportive. Yes, They're, of course, yeah. even finer. They say, don't take the screen, take uh, <laughs> one or two days and we are fine. Especially bigger chains, for example. They really prefer that. Okay, interesting. See, we already... Kate, are you just between the two in, ter in geographical yeah, well, terms? Or also in I <laughs> basically agree with you. And maybe we are a naive company, but for example, we did a documentary. It was a Czech documentary about skateboarders in Czechoslovakia during the communism. And oh, basically, one target group are people who ride on their skateboards. And we counted on them to come. It was very easy targeting to get the film to them. And in our experience, they all found out about it. We had ambassadors that promoted the film and uh, from what we saw on social networks like many people took their skateboards to the cinemas and so on but the key for us was to get out of this target audience and get many more people than just skateboarders to come so we basically targeted targeted skateboarders but that was a small part of our campaign and then we had to try to make it a film about freedom and youth and communism and so on so we had to put we put a lot of effort into this and i think it worked because we managed to get almost all the members of this core uh, target audience which were the skateboarders but we also managed to get the others to come which 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 meant that we got quite a lot of admissions <laughs> Okay. And how about in a market that's on a completely different scale, where you know you have to yeah. travel thousands of kilometers between cities? So, so your kind of strategy can be almost impossible to apply on such a huge market. Well, well no, it's not impossible. I mean, there 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 are companies where you, you know where they specialize at Fathom events, um, where if you want to do a specialized event screening in you know a thousand screens, you know I I don't know what title had, uh, has done that, but a film that I executive produced that was in Sundance was about J Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, you know, the, the rock star. I, I don't know if you know who that is. I hope you do. I love rock and roll. I love rock and roll. There you go. Oh. So basically, Joan, you know, when we were talking about and, and helping figure out who was going to distribute it, it ended up being Magnolia Pictures in, in the U.S., um, and then it's Dog Wolf in the UK and Nonstop in Scandinavia, and then we're, we're still selling territories. So if anybody's interested for your territory, let me know. Uh, but that one, we had a big discussion about what the strategy could be, and, and Magnolia decided to do a mixture of event screenings and a traditional platform release. So basically, on, you know, in the US, we always release on the Friday. I don't know if you do that here. Thursday. Thursday, okay, so it's, it's always Friday. And so a lot of times if you're doing some kind of specialized event, you do it on a Wednesday usually. And so they put together 
200 screens and single screenings, but also we developed um, exclusive content. So there was uh, a Joan Jett rehearsing and the band was playing live that, and it wasn't anywhere else. You couldn't see it in any other way. So there was a half hour extra for, so the strategy really there was like go for like more like what you're saying, go directly for the Joan Jett fans, which are very loyal and, you know, and then kind of hope in the, in the, in the weekly screening, which was uh, LA, New York and Portland, um, that we did good enough business that we would pick up more continual. But I'd say that was, it was a success in the strategy that we, I think we got to a huge number of Joan Jett fans and the numbers were really good on the event screening. But then the platform screen and the regular theatrical week didn't, didn't spread. It did really well the weeks that it was open, but it, because a lot of those markets already had the single screening, they didn't feel confident you know, that, that a week, another week would work. So it was kind of a mixture and it, you know, it, it was considered a success. But also, you know, in the back of all of our minds, we were wondering, well, had we done a traditional theatrical release, maybe it could have caught the same way that RBG did, like it's a personality, it's, it's a woman's empowerment movie, it, because Joan Jett was, you know, a rock and roller who, you know, had to kind of make her way through a very male-dominated rock and roll world, the 70s and the 80s, and she you know, and every record company rejected her, and so it's, it was a great, like, kind of David and Goliath story, female empowerment, but we, we really just went for kind of more, like, the safer thing, which was, like, the Joan Jett fan, because she has an extremely loyal fan base. So it's a mixture, um, and, I, and I think, in general, I think you have to be very, you have to be very selective and, and think about what's gonna work for, like, you know, I mean, in a way, I don't think you're either of you really contradicting each other. You're just saying what works for that title. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're saying you're, you would look for titles that you can do that with and you wouldn't risk. So a lot of it is, is kind of understanding. But when you have a title that has multiple targets, then it becomes, you know, like we had one film... It was a, um, I mean, it, it was an amazing, amazingly critically lauded film, um, but it was a jazz film about Lee Morgan called I Called Him Morgan. And it was, you know, it got, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and, and it got in every festival, which never happens. It was in Venice, then it went to Telluride, then it went to, to Toronto and London, and, and that doesn't happen very often. So it had this critical mass, but when we were when we were talking about how we would, we were like, there's the African American audience, which is actually somewhat hard to reach with documentaries. But then there was this film, you know, um, the um, call me, don't call me, <laughs> whatever it was called. I don't remember. You know, uh, I'm not your Negro. Sorry. Um, which did very, very well. And so obviously, you know, that, but that wasn't just, you know, African-American targeted. It was targeted to, you know, to, you know, older people and, you know, many different segments. 
But in our Lee Morgan film, you know, we, we tried to reach jazz fans primarily. And jazz is one of those things that's is very difficult to, you know, there's, there hasn't been a lot of comparable, super successful jazz documentaries. So, you know, the cross-section of kind of just generally like music lovers and also the fact that this was just had, a, had an amazing festival pedigree. Um, and so it did well. You know, we, we did a, a traditional theatrical release. We had, we sold it to, to, Am, uh, to Amazon. I'm sorry, excuse me. We sold this to Netflix. And they gave us a, you know, a, a real theatrical window, 90-day window. And so, you know, I think it did, you know, I guess what you would say is like 15,000 admissions, you know, 150,000 or something like that or, or more. And so it was, it was a solid, okay, decent. It wasn't like through the roof, but it wasn't a failure either. Um, so I think it's, I don't know, it's tough. I mean, I think it's very case by case. But I think if you, if you nowadays you can really reach a very targeted audience if you, if you know what you're doing and you pick the right one, and you know, then it can work out really well. I was wondering if we'd be able to have a whole panel discussion without saying the word Netflix, but apparently not. <laughs> Very sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. Um, the N-word. Um, but as we, as we see here, I mean, even within a single territory, you can already have like multiple different targets that can be you know, interested in the film. And uh, that's where I'm interested in your experience with Moving Docs, because you're also trying to put like different distributors from different markets together. But then on the other hand, and that's also for those in, 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 in the room here who are maybe on more on the filmmaking side, on the producing side, uh, of course, you know, if you can have multiple targets within a single market, then if you put like multiple markets, then you have even more audiences. Um, would you say that it's still possible, A, to kind of see trends and are there really similarities between those markets or is each territory quite different? And B, is there kind of material and things like that also to take this a little bit, you know, also to the very practical side of things. Uh, is there kind of material that can be created or is there work that can be done, you know, before the film moves into distribution so that, you know, it makes the life of all the local distributors easier? Because that's also, I mean, the, the point of moving dogs, what you guys are trying to do, put you know, all the energies together so that there will be less energy that is necessary in each territory. Yeah, and, and as I said, it is, a, it is a, a complex structure because not only is it different territories, but it's also different partners. So as said, we have both the small cinema clubs and the partners who do a real theatrical release um, so I can so for us it's important with these films that can do both because of course it's also a, a question of resources um, some partners only have the resource to focus on one target audience and then they try to fill their their cinema with that and the ones who do the theatrical release they as you say, have to take the extra rings or the extra circles around and, and target uh, more audiences. Um, and also with the smaller, more event-focused cinema clubs, they are, of course, also promoting themselves as a brand. 
um, that they give people a good experience when they come. It's not only about the film, but they get also a social event or a Q&A, something extra always happening. And in that way, they are also yeah, branding themselves and trying to get people back. Maybe they come in because they are interested in a specific film with a specific topic, but they like the event, so they come back also if the film is maybe not exactly what they are interested in, but, but they had a good experience. So, so it is tricky because it's both different territories and different kind of, of partners. Um, we've been trying to do pan-European events and trying to find pan-European partners for some of our films. One of our main issues are timing uh, and rights issues. Um, because even though a partner is interested in a film, maybe the rights are not available for their territory. Maybe their festival or event is a different time than the other partners. So it has proven very tricky to do these pan-European events where you, for example, screen one film at, at the same time in, in, in several countries and then have a joint um, event afterwards where all the partners can tap in. But that's, we've, we've done it sometimes because it, of course, um, can, can help the partner. They will have less resources. They don't have to like invite a whole panel to be there in their country. Then they can have a, a feed um, from from the partner who's organizing the screening, who maybe have a panel of experts, and then they can take questions from all the partners around Europe who have been in the cinema, and then they ask questions who go to the central event. So, so that's been tried a number of times. The, the most successful ones are, again, where we have a strong partner um, who can help with the promotion. Uh, we did a focus on refugees some years ago and had a couple of films uh, with that as a topic. And um, we partnered up with UNICEF and Al Jazeera, who was also screening the film. And that made a, made a huge difference because they were promoting the event on all their social media platforms. And that gave a, a great reach. Um, and in terms of, of content, um, we try to, to both yeah, enhance the skills of, of our partners by doing different workshops with, with different focus areas. We also had a good case um, last year where one of our films was a Free Lunch Society about this idea of having a universal basic income that everyone can get and you don't have to, uh, even if you're not working. Um, and for that we created an, an animation um, explaining this concept. And of course the advantage with an animation is that you could then have it translated or the partners could do their own voice over. 
Um, and it's maybe not something you have the resources to do as an individual, but we could provide it as a network and then all the partners could, could use it in their promotion to explain what this film is about and then have it customized with their logo and their screening dates. So that was a, of a nice example of something we could do centrally that, that could help with the, with the promotion of a film. Right. Thank you. Maybe it's time to uh, open the discussion, to open the floor. So um, we have a microphone here, right? And uh, yeah, so if there are any uh, questions, maybe just uh, wait until the microphone is there and also just quickly introduce yourself so we know uh, who you are. And if you are addressing the question to a specific panelist, please uh, tell us who, who it is for. Any question? No? Are you still too shy? Okay. All right. So, uh, are we sure? No, there is one there. Perfect. Uh, with the red scarf. Thank you. Hi, I'm Edith. I'm from Brazil. And my question is about the language in the documentary. Uh, similar to the Netherlands, maybe? Portuguese is not as a known language, not spoken in all countries. So how does the language, maybe to the other small countries with different languages, how does the language in the documentaries play for or against it? And my own experience is that everything in English or with English sub subtitles have a farther reach than in other languages. So I would like to know a little bit of your experience on that. So maybe I'll, st I'll start. Uh, in the Czech Republic, films are generally not dubbed in the cinemas. So people are used to reading subtitles. So I wouldn't say this makes much of a difference. But if I look at my list of the most successful documentaries, they are usually in English. But I'd say that's because of, the, of their topic. Because they are about somebody who's famous like all over the world. Or yeah, something like that. So I wouldn't say the language itself affects um, the success of the film. Yeah. Yeah, same here for the Netherlands. But but the thing is, we do subtitle films and we have to translate them, so that's already a cost, you know, so it's part of the investment, but we're used to that because even English films, of course, get translated. Everything has to get translated to Dutch, basically, except for Dutch films. So, But I, th I think there's very little distinction just f strictly for the language uh, for the Dutch uh, market because... We're so used to uh, reading subtitles that it doesn't really uh, affect the chances of a film as long as it's a good film and we see a potential for the audience. Uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe the only problem for us in Prague is that if the film is in foreign language and uh, it's not in English and we don't have the rights for English subtitles, we can't show it to expats who are a big target audience as well. So we are trying to negotiate extra screenings with the sales agencies maybe. We have a festival, it's called Catch Up for like English-speaking people where we screen those films with English subtitles. Yeah. So that might play a part a little bit. But this used to be very complicated, but now this is becoming more and more common, right? Because yeah, for us it becomes easier and easier. It used to be very, it used to be, because you formally don't have the rights for, to the English language version. And before, the sales agents used to say, no, you don't have those rights, you don't get it, because you, you use it to pirate things and blah, blah, blah. And now it's very common, so 
usually we get them for free now and um, often now we buy uh, an English sub we start out with buying an English subtitled uh, print and we we later rework that uh, maybe it's too technical for you but uh, we, we use that as our master to create our own uh, DCP which is the digital cinema package which is the the film I'm sure you you know <laughs> you're all professionals um, so yeah we, we buy the international print and then we use that for some screens and we can also use it for expat screenings which are more and more common particularly of course in Amsterdam which is becoming more and more international and they tend to be quite successful those screenings yeah. same here Cecilia uh, you would, 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 do you see a difference with language do you see trends with like uh, like uh, do you see like much more interest for English language films or not necessarily no I think also the yeah I agree and also I think our core audiences are again used to to reading subtitles and uh, yeah it's it's not a problem and and many partners also, uh, I think especially in the, in the Nordic countries and also us in Berlin, we can also screen just the English version because we have a large international audience. Um, so no, I, I, we, we, we at least never uh, in our selection consider what language is it, it is. And maybe that's also taking us uh, when... We discussed yesterday about the European Film Challenge. Uh, I'm, I'm quite a big fan of that idea of the gamification of, of watching films. I, th I think it's quite a smart way of, of making it fun and making it, you know, we, we, we've all done that of maybe like, you know, rating films and things like that. And this is kind of the next step. Uh, apparently, from what I understood, unfortunately, you don't have access. It would be amazing to have access to the whole list of what people watch, you know, to have like proper statistics and stuff like that. But I guess you still get trends there. You have trends of your country and yeah. uh, you can see points of your friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you see there uh, again, like, Maybe here we can also open it a little bit to fiction. I know we had ITFA, but, you know, in terms of, uh, again, to go to that question about language, do you see some, is it always like English language films everywhere or not at all? Or does it play a role? Or Because then we're going to move to the US, then I suppose. Foreign language can be a little difficult. So, uh, no, the, uh, well, the European if, film if, if we play in this uh, small-scale uh, uh, area, I mean... Um, Small distributors, independent exhibitors, uh, small releases, we, we never consider language. But when I approach uh, bigger uh, cinema chains, they always ask which language. So apparently at some point it counts, but not uh, where I'm operating. Okay, so within the art house audience, you, you would feel like that's not really playing no, a role? No, we dub everything, we subtitle everything anyway, yeah. no dubbing, but uh, it's not a problem, especially when you are, when you're small territory with your own language and you know that everybody around speaks different languages, mm. it's not really an issue. Okay, and that takes us to the... Big, terrible market that doesn't like foreign <laughs> languages. <laughs> is it as bad as we all think it is from this side of the Atlantic? Or is, uh, I mean, is there's, there's a solid, you know, there's, there's certain distributors in the art house world that, that specialize it, they're really good at it. Um, you know, music box films and Sony Pictures Classics and, you know, there's, there's distributors there who, who know how to 
who know where that audience is. And but for documentary, it's definitely, you know, it's it's a consideration. You know, I I worked on a documentary that I produced. I think that some of you are working with called Kusama Infinity. Um, did I imagine that someone was was working on that? But anyway, it you know so. That's about a Japanese artist, and there's a lot of, um, you know, we, had, we make a lot of decisions about, you know, what, you know, how much subtitling was in it. You know, the artist herself actually speaks a lot in Japanese, but she also speaks in English in the film. And we ended up subtitling everything because you couldn't understand her that well, even in English. And I think it was a bit of a minus. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's a pretty sophisticated audience that comes to the, to the art house cinemas and they're totally fine with, you know, with, with reading subtitles. So, you know, I think it's, you know, there's, there's a resistance and it's, you know, it is a very much more smaller segment of the movie going population, obviously. But it's, you know, it's, it's definitely an option that people would, would miss if they didn't have it. Um, and I think, you know, cer certain things, I'm trying to think of what has really crossed over. Um, you know, some, some things really do well, but, you know, m mostly independent features, you know, not really documentaries that I can, that I can think of. Um, there has been some, though, actually, that have been successful that were subtitled. So it's, it's not as bad as you think, you know. <laughs> That's reassuring. So if you've got a biopic or a film about the panda, you, you still have hope to go like to the US. Uh, any other questions? Yes, hi. Yes. Hi. Hi, uh, I'm uh, Nati Adler. I'm from Israel. I'm a mainly director, but a producer. Uh, one of my films is here called The Sign for Love uh, in Docs for Sale. And I'm interested a little bit because we are the filmmakers. We are we don't uh, know the business side of it, and it's really interesting to know a little bit about business side. For example, how much uh, publicity budget, how much uh, an advertising budget is needed for a documentary theatrical release? Probably it's a different it's a different uh, scales, but. Well, I, I can try to answer that, but I think it won't tell you anything because you don't know the like the what things cost in the Czech Republic. But for a documentary where we um, expect five thousand people to come, for example, which would be like not completely niche audience, but quite a small release, that would be um, four thousand euros, maybe PNA budget. That would be the. Yeah, but uh, you have your department in house, so that's all yes. only. Yeah, uh, we do all you also everything have to in house. Think about what what kind of costs those are. Those are only out of pocket costs that you spend on actually creating the poster, printing yes. the poster, yes. uh, making a trailer. Because for us it would be more, but I outsource everything, so I have to pay marketing people to do the campaign. We still have to do uh, VPF uh, payments, which stop now, but that's a substantial part of the um, of the cost. So, in our case, maybe explain VPF. I'm not sure everyone knows. Yeah, what VPF what is the payment that uh, we as distributors do towards the digitization of the of the cinemas. So we have a, f a virtual print fee. So we 
pretend it's a print, but it's not a print. So the amount of cinemas you go out in, you pay 500 euros for each cinema you release the film in. So this would normally, not all films are part of it, so roughly would, would cost 5,000 euros. So I would say if I the documentary, the spending would be some, somewhere between 15 and 20,000 euros to release the film. So that, and to give you an idea, what we, because cinema tickets are on average uh, a bit more than seven euros, so we would receive about three euros per admission. So that then you would already have to do seven thousand admissions to to, re, to to break even on your P and A, and this is not your MG which you have to pay to the to the um, uh, the sales agent. So, but this is very good that you ask because this is a this is. I always seem like a brash businessman who only wants to make money, but uh, you know, even to recoup the investment of starting to think about a release, uh, I have to already make 7,000 admissions. It's, it's, it's quite a number of people. Eh? It's a small village that actually goes out through the rain on his bicycle to buy a ticket for, your, for the film that they want to see. So I always have to keep that in mind, and that's also why we are so picky, because we really have to think that we are actually going to make that money back. It's very hard. I mean, to give an idea, I, I suppose, I mean, with those kind of budgets, that doesn't include any outdoor, uh, that doesn't include TV. No, it's that, a very basic budget. Mainly like PR and some social media We work. do some social media, we always some make online. a poster, always a trailer. I mean, uh, otherwise we don't really start, you know. I, I think that's essential, you know, otherwise you, do, you, you can't really do a proper theatrical release, in my idea. So, uh, yeah. Anyone yeah. else wants to share some? I, I could. Money? I mean, I think you know the United States. You know, there are plenty of filmmakers who maybe have tried to do their own self-releases. Um, there are you know, kind of variations of of like companies or individuals who could help you with booking if you're an independent if you if you're going independent route. Um, for us. You know, it also depends when you're booking the theaters that you want to open in, which is kind of the key to it for us. So if we have a film and, we, you know, we, we know that the very best cinema for it to open in is the IFC Center in New York, we're targeting where it's going to open is the most important. And so we may have to wait to get that date. Um, if, for instance, you know, it's something where P&A is being provided you know, which sometimes happens when we do a service deal. So we're not necessarily taking the full risk. We're taking like a flat fee and then we would take a certain amount of risk because then we're, we're, we're hoping that we're going to get a percentage of the box office. But it can be quite expensive, I, I, I will say. And if you get into a situation where you have to rent the theaters to four-wall the theaters... Um, and you're doing New York and LA as a platform release. Maybe four walling means that you actually rent the whole theater, so you're not getting a percentage of the tickets. You rent the space, and then you get 100% of the tickets. That's that means that thing. the theater doesn't really believe in the film, so you take the full risk. Right. They're they're not willing to take the risk, or then you you take the risk, but then you also get the full reward as well. So sometimes it can work out, but the risk is much higher. So, you know, for for even just a kind of New York and L.A. and then platforming out to maybe five to ten 
of the top markets in the U.S. That could easily be anywhere from $100,000 to $150,000 P&A commitment. You could try to do it less expensively, but it all adds up. And, and that's, that isn't necessarily even including radio or TV. It might be. And that, at that budget level, you, you probably would do some radio. But TV would be prohibitive. Um, so, I, I mean, it can, you know, it kind of depends. But, I mean, and then, you know, kind of mainline distributors like Magnolia and IFC, when they're doing, even, even if it's a platform release where you're just opening in New York and L.A. and then platforming out, and, you know, we negotiate a lot of these deals, we're on both sides of these things. So, we, as a sales agent, we're selling, and we may require the distributor to do a 20 market commitment. So that, that can be quite expensive. You say there's the virtual print fees, and if it, if it spreads, it's in success, that's great. But if you have 200 theaters times, our, our, our fees are like, you know, 900. Not all the theaters have them, but, you know, 900 times 200, that's a lot of money. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a wide range, um, but it's not easy to do a, a theatrical release in the U.S., a proper theatrical release for, you know, for inexpensively. For, I mean, I would say it'd be very difficult to do it for under forty dollars or $50,000. And you could if you were doing it yourself and you were, you kind of, you were creating the poster, maybe you're doing the trailer, you're getting a friend to do it, but if you're using professional trailer house or poster designers. I mean, poster designer could get five to $10,000 for a poster. Trailer could be 10,000, could be 25,000. So, you know, and sometimes that's just the, you know, them charging you back on the inside, but you know, it's, it can be very expensive. Maybe, is that a good opportunity because there are filmmakers and producers in the room just to summarize, one big problem with documentaries, in particular for us when we work on marketing and social media, is we tend to have absolutely horrible uh, film stills to work with, you know, like very like screenshots that are pixelated and all these kind of things, and then you have to work with that, and you have to tell people, come to the cinema and spend 10 euros to actually come and see that. So, uh, so maybe, I, I don't know yeah. if one of you wants to take the mic and maybe just quickly like list what, what can be done by a filmmaker, by a producer to actually help you guys when, you, when it actually comes to distribute the film and, and you know, like maybe a, a, an ideal story of the package that can just make the difference. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things, a good trailer and a good poster are the, the most important things and they're often lacking in documentary. Um, and what often happens is that the director is very involved with, with they're often, uh, and I think you mentioned it before, director and producer. So a poster, for example, in La Chana, we had a lot of discussion about the, the poster. And because um, we have to sell the film, eh? we didn't make the film. So for us, it's just a matter of, you know, trying to get as many people to watch it and this is often a very different thing from the taste of, uh, of, the, of a director. And also making a trailer is totally a different job of, uh, than making a film. And of course, it's a complicated discussion because usually there's no budget to hire a good, good trailer maker. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say from our perspective. Um, 
and you often wind up uh, probably creating something as good as possible with the means you have. But yeah, traders are extremely important. I think um, it's old research, but um, I remember uh, a piece of research that showed that the, one of the most effective uh, parts of communication for a film is a trailer. Because it can really, uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, trigger people into actually going and watching the film. So yeah, trailer posts and stills is also uh, is, is a thing that's very important also. And it's very often lacking. People are not thinking about it during the production process. And then afterwards it's too late. You get, you get stuck with screen grabs. My publicity lady starts screaming at me. <laughs> the, the, the newspaper doesn't want to print them. Yeah. But for example, the when complaining you get department is extra material like I don't know mini videos, featurettes, uh, uh, behind the scene. I, I don't know anything. Does that help you? At the end of the day, it's just a cherry on the cake. But. Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention that normally in the package there is no teasers or small extracts from the film. Usually, it's a standard trailer, poster, artwork, stills. But that would be very helpful because we all go on social media now. And to have those small moving images would be so good. So little gifts, little clips, yes. like think social media, think, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Also for us, uh, a lot of our partners start campaigning and promoting like several weeks before the release. And of course, they need to feed on social media with different clips, new clips, new new photographs. So at, as as much as possible and not just only uh, only a couple so so the audience see oh there's a new photo or a new little clip some something to to work with um, and for us it's always important when possible to have a, a close collaboration with the producer um, and and in the early stage start to talking about what is his or her thoughts about target audiences, about outreach, what have they thought about during the, the production process and, um, and have them involved um, during the, the screenings and during the release so we can use um, the, the director uh, also actively uh, for, for Q&As and really have that involvement also keep keep the crew on after the first premiere um, because it's so important to to have them available for Q&A's. Cool, there is time for one or two last questions. Is there? Hello, here. Yeah. Hi, uh, uh, my name is Sergio Fant. I'm a festival programmer. I, I'm sorry if you don't see me, but I'm here. The dark I, I, I swear. Um, I'm a festival programmer and I also run a distribution platform for documentaries in Italy. And I was wondering what is, if any of you has experiences with uh, using packages of films or series as a tool to bring films to the theaters. So not just a single film, but uh, showing different films together according to a similar subject or a partner or whatever. We, we ha haven't really, although there's been times when there's been requests from that, but you know, it's, sometimes it's, it's hard to, um, you know, because of timing or you know, different rights and different territories. And you know, I think it's a good idea. And I think if, it, if, it's, if it's the right program for that market and you can facilitate it happening, we, we would be open to it. We, we've had requests for that, but it, it, it didn't work out mainly because like the windowing wasn't quite right or 
you know, one thing was kind of in a different window than another. And, you know, I think it would be easier if they were, if they were like titles, they were all kind of past their initial window. Um, like if they were premiering, then obviously sometimes, you know, it, it just depends. But uh, I think thematically, I think it can be a good idea. And it's, you know, for, for festivals, I think it's a good idea. But, you know, the logistic of it uh, can be can be daunting, um, so we haven't really done it actually. Anyone else? Has yeah, it's more in the fiction department that I have experience with it. That sometimes uh, cinemas uh, uh, create the the films around it. They put some previous films by the same director around it and things like that to to. Yeah. Um, so in, in embed the film in, in, in more of a history and more of a story than just the film itself. But as a distributor, it's kind of complicated to actually do that because then it becomes distributing multiple films, basically, and distributing one film is already quite a challenge. Yeah, we've actually done, but I don't know if it's relevant, but we've done with Jim Jarmusch and Kim, um, uh, Aki Kaurismäki. We bought a collection of their previous films and we released them like two months before, like as a show, which we offered to the cinemas to program and many of them did. But that's mainly because both, both of those directors are very famous in the Czech Republic and it has worked extremely well, well for us, for P Patterson. It was, I think it was the best PR thing to do, like, <laughs> so yeah, but not, I can't think of any case of this in the Czech Republic for documentaries. And you, you happen to have the rights to the previous films, or did you acquire them? We acquired them, specifically. Oh, you did? Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Wow. Did you acquire them all from the same, were they controlled by, by Jim Jarmusch, or who, who controlled them? I don't know that, and they, they, they were not all of his films, that's important to say, there were seven of them. Okay. So I think they were seven from the same company and we managed to get a good deal on, on them. Uh, we had this uh, with uh, culinary films, uh, they were released uh, almost at the same time and they were combined with some chefs cooking dinners and uh, this little bit broader experience. Um, but it was not like a regular cinematic cinema release. It was in a specific location where they could all also cook. Uh, one last question here. Wait, wait a second, please. The microphone is arriving. Sorry, <laughs> I need to talk in the microphone. Uh, hello, I'm Dennis and I'm producer. Have you also considered uh, cross-media platforms in terms of um, doing promotion for a film? Can you be more specific when you talk like about... about there's a lot of digital content being produced uh, nowadays uh, to accompany the release of a film, like mostly fictional films. But I noticed there's a lot of uh, non-fictional um, digital content as well. So it's like, like VR experiences, for example, or an augmented reality application, or just a mobile app or something like that, which had, should have a low cost, of course. I think VR, you know, there's a couple of people in the audience who could probably talk about it, but um, it's not there yet. Um, at least in the in the nonfiction, we haven't found. And we, I mean, we're working with a couple of producers actually who have VR projects here who are tied into a VR version and a traditional version of a documentary. And it'll be interesting to see how those w platform emerges. Uh, we haven't. 
really run into anything where we've had the opportunity, we'd be open to it. Um, but I think with VR, it hasn't, I don't know of an example where, you know, it's happened. You know, in other words, like the VR release was monetized and it and it's like, oh, okay, I, we see how we can do this. It's like the moment it's, I think it's still in, in the phase and I might be wrong, maybe I just don't know about it. Um, but there hasn't been an opportunity for us where we had those kind of assets to to do that. If there were, we'd be open to it, and we would it would be an interesting challenge. Um, so that's been my experience. Uh, if I can add my experience here as well, I have to say that it's already hard enough to distribute and promote a film. Normally, you don't have enough time and not enough energy and not enough resources. So then if you also need to promote a graphic novel or a web series, it's often actually taking time from the distribution and promotion of the film rather than really adding an extra audience. So I, at least personally, think you need to be very careful with these kind of things. But that's my personal experience. You wanted to add something on this? Yeah, I just wanted to say that, that we had one film, uh, Dolphin Man, about the free driver, uh, free diver, Jacques Mayol, and that was produced a VR experience um, in connection with the film, but we didn't use it so much for promotion. It was more used as an added value at the screenings, so people could uh, emerge in the VR experience after the film, but we didn't do a specific like promotion targeted with the VR. It was more like an added experience to the people coming to the cinema. So it wasn't separately monetized. It wasn't like pay an extra $3 and you can see the VR. No, it was more adding, like creating an event. Yeah. Thank you. I think we're coming to the end of this panel. Just to wrap it up quick. Well, first of all, thank you, Europa Distribution, to, for organizing this. Thank you, Itfa. I hope there were some uh, useful things that were said during this panel. To wrap it up, if, if you have made a film about nature, a biopic, a musical film, uh, or a political film, a Werner Herzog film, uh, or a poetical film, and you happen to have a Lithuanian passport, then you're pretty safe. Otherwise, it will get a little harder. And uh, of course, yeah, no, I, I get the impression that, I mean, in general, we had some themes like the identification, targeting. They seem to be a little bit like the keywords here, maybe putting energies together, and of course, getting good material from, uh, from the producers. Well, thank you all. Thank you thank for you very sharing much. all thank of you. this. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. for listening. Please check out other podcast episodes and video recordings, other talks and events of ITFA at itfa.nl and subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date.